Well, good morning again. As I said, it's a great honor and privilege to be with you today and to have the opportunity to open up God's amazing word to us this morning. Um, as you turn to Psalm 121, that's where we'll be today. If uh, you have your Bibles with you or if you're looking in your, your bulletin, you can look at Psalm 121. But as you're, you're turning there, I wanted to share a thought uh, with you that I had when I was on a mission trip many years ago in Brazil. Uh, so one of my dear friends who's, who's from Brazil and is now back in Brazil and planted a church, our church went down to do some missions work uh, alongside his work in, in Brazil. And uh, this thought occurred to me as I was driving around. It was just the two of us, and it might be a little bit of a, a morbid thought. <laughs> um, but we were driving, and I had the thought of, um, what if we got into a car wreck at this time? Um, what if we got into a car wreck and my friend Amelia, what if he was knocked unconscious or God forbid something worse happened to him because I had no idea where we were. Um, I could not speak Portuguese. I had no idea the address of the place that I was staying. Um, from what Emilio had shared with us, uh, we had to be a little quiet about why we were over there as, as missionaries. They, the government wasn't too keen on missionaries being over there. And so I had that thought of what would happen if we got into that wreck. Um, and, and I was reminded that you know, I was completely helpless in that moment. I was very vulnerable in my travels over there. I was completely dependent upon other people while I was in this foreign-speaking country. Now, why do I bring this thought up? Why do I bring up the thought of travel and, and vulnerability? Well, Scholars actually refer to Psalm 121 as the traveler's psalm. That it's a poem rooted in the physical experiences of pilgrims who are traveling up to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. And what we need to be reminded of is that travel equaled vulnerability. Think about travel back then. Uh, we, we, there were not modern conveniences that we have today when we're traveling. Travel oftentimes equaled danger. Travel was a fearful thing. There was a lot of preparation if you were going to travel somewhere. And of course, we have many modern conveniences today that shield us from these things, but we have to see that, that travel is a dangerous thing, even today. Travel is a very vulnerable thing for us. And if you're sitting out there thinking, well, you know, John, I don't travel all that much. So I don't know how much this has to do with me. Um, you need to know that to be a Christian is to be a traveler. That this is not your home. We are not home. We, we are traveling from this life to the next life. That life is a journey. That each and every day, if you're just traveling to your office, if you're traveling to Home Depot or Walmart, wherever you're going, you're a traveler. And that there are many dangers that are around us, as we will see from this psalm. So as we look at Psalm 121, before we do that, let me pray and ask for God's blessing upon the reading of his word. Father, we give you thanks for the treasure of your word. So often it can be routine to come into the same building to worship you, to open up the same book and to read from it. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to see we need this book. We need this word. We ask that you would speak from us, that you would help us to be reminded that these aren't just 
mere words of uh, some human that were written a long time ago. This is your word. This is you literally speaking to us. So Holy Spirit, please open our eyes and our ears to hear and to see your word. Guard us from the evil one who absolutely hates the preaching and teaching of your word. Allow seeds to be scattered from this word and to bear fruit in our hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this is God's word. Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So it has been said before that if you ever want to make someone feel guilty, simply ask them about their devotional life. How's your devotional life? How's your prayer life? How's your your Bible reading? Typically those questions might make us avoid eye contact and, and look at the ground, and I'm not asking that question to shame or guilt trip anyone. Um, It's a struggle for absolutely every one of us, which again should be encouraging that it's a struggle for all of us because how many of us can say, oh, we're praying enough or we're reading the Bible enough. But I bring that up just just to give some some simple Bible reading advice someone shared with me many years ago. Um, To ask two simple questions of every single Bible passage you ever read. Uh, What does this say about God? And what does this say about us? What does this say about me? What does this say about you? Those are two simple questions that you can ask of any text that will be very helpful to your Bible reading. And those will serve as the outline for us today as we look at Psalm 121. First, what does Psalm 121 say about us? Secondly, what does Psalm 121 say about God? And then lastly, answering the question, where does our help come from? So in the first place, what does this say about us? Now, I want to begin here instead of beginning with God first because the psalmist actually begins here. Uh, the, the, the remainder of the, the psalm, after Psalm, uh, I guess, verses 3 through 8, are, are focused more on God. But giving some brief context as we jump into Psalm 121, this is a song of ascent. If you see in your bulletin, you actually have the words a song of ascent. In your Bible, it says a song of ascent. That was not added later. That's literally Scripture. You need to know that that was in the original Hebrew text, so that's not something we just need to skip over. This is referring to a group of psalms. Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 were known as the song of ascent as those who were ascending up to Jerusalem to go worship in the temple. Uh, There were 15 steps on the temple, and many scholars believe that these priests, as they were headed up to the temple, they would recite one of these psalms on each each of the steps as they were headed up to worship. And Psalm 120 is actually a psalm of despair. It's a dark psalm. Charles Spurgeon says, going from Psalm 120 to Psalm 121, our psalm today, he says that going up out of the valley of weeping into the valley of presence, and in the valley of God's presence, is what you're doing when you're going from Psalm 120 to Psalm 121. And so we see in verse 1 there of Psalm 121, we read, 
I lift up my eyes to the hills. And typically as I read verse 1, this sounded like a triumphant, encouraging, boastful verse. But that's not accurate. (laughs) Uh, When the psalmist is saying, I lift up my eyes to the hills, you see the hills represent danger for the traveler. Uh, The hills were where criminals and thieves would hide to, to rob, to murder, to harm people. So the hills are filled with danger. The hills were a terrifying place. And so when the psalmist is saying, from where does my help come? The psalmist is saying, I'm helpless. The psalmist is saying, if those hills are filled with wicked people seeking to kill me, I'm a sitting duck. Because we can understand that the hills were a primary vantage point for criminals. I mean, we think in warfare, you always wanted the higher ground, and those who were on the lower ground were very vulnerable. So same for for criminals. And so travelers would see the hills, and their anxiety has now increased. And so he's saying, where does my help come from? So verse 2, as we move to that, when he says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, we don't need to read that necessarily as a confident boast who's um, who's proclaiming this without any sort of fear. You need to read this as someone who's feeling anxious, as someone who is worried, as someone who is fearful, who is talking truth back to themselves. Read it as a struggler, someone struggling with doubt, doubting who God is, doubting God's goodness, doubting God's love, doubting God's faithfulness. And I don't think that's too much of a stretch for any of us here this morning. If we're honest... This is where we are oftentimes. This is where we can be. I don't want to speak for you. I'll speak for myself. This is where I am oftentimes. Oftentimes I can read Psalms and the Psalms that seem to resonate with me are the ones that say, where are you, God? Why are you so far away? In our language, maybe saying, God, do you even care? God, are you with me? God, you say that you love me, but I don't feel it. It doesn't feel like love right now. This season of my life does not feel that way. You know we've all been there before. If you're a Christian, you know God is your helper. You know the Sunday school answers of verse 2, that God made heaven and earth. But day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, we forget this. We doubt this as we travel through the difficulties of life. You doubt it in your parenting, right? God, are you with me? (laughs) Are you sure this season of life is very hard and parenting is very difficult? Are you with me? You say this in your marriage. God, are you with me in the midst of this difficult season? You say this in your singleness. God, I long to be married. Do you hear me? You say this as a student and the the difficulties of the teenage lives, of of seeing cliques that form, of being excluded from various groups. God, are you there? God, do you hear me? 
Fill in the blank, whatever it is, our doubts come in many different shapes and forms. And our anxiety, if we're often, our, if, we're, if we're honest, our anxiety oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes gives, gives testimony to the fact that we don't believe God is who he says he is. However, in the midst of this worry and fear, the psalmist is still speaking truth to himself. The psalmist is reminding his troubled soul that his help comes from the creator of the heavens and the earth, as verse 2 tells us. And so one application for us here, speak truth to yourself. Speak truth to yourself. Your heart, as God's word tells us, speaks lies to yourself all the time. Your heart is lying to you all the time, and so we must be speaking truth back to it. And I was actually listening to uh, Brian Habig, some of you may know, as he was preaching this psalm, and he reminded me of one of my favorite quotes from Martin Lloyd-Jones, who says this. He says, have you ever realized that most of your trouble in your life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? That most of your trouble in your life is due to the fact that you are listening to your lying, deceitful heart instead of speaking truth back to it. So we must be speaking truth back to ourselves, like, like this psalmist is here, speaking what he already knows to be true back to his troubled heart. But what does this say about us in our first point? Well, it says we are weak. We are weak. We are vulnerable. We need help. We live in a world of constant fear, constant trouble, constant anxieties. But if you are God's child, it also tells us you're loved. You're cared for. You are pursued and you are kept by by the one who created absolutely everything. That leads us to the second point. What does this say about God? Well, if we had to sum it up in one word... God is our keeper. Now, if you notice, the word keep and keeper is repeated six times in eight verses. So if you look, verse 3, he who keeps you will not slumber. Verse 4, behold, he who keeps Israel. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. Now, I'm no Hebrew scholar, but I think the psalmist is trying to make a point. God will keep you. God will always keep his children unconditionally, exclamation point. God is active in his creation. We do not have a deist worldview. Deists believe in a God, a creator, right, who has created all things, but that once he created those things, he steps away and just lets his creation kind of run its course. We believe in a God who not only created absolutely everything, but is active in his creation, who loves his creation. And the way in which he proved that the most was becoming part of his creation, taking on flesh and coming in the man, Jesus Christ, to be our ultimate keeper. And so what can sound like a contradiction is that our God is active in keeping us, but guess what? He's not exerting any energy. (laughs) He's active in keeping us. He's active right now in keeping the sun from getting too close to this earth to burn us all or to get too far away 
when we freeze to death. He's actively doing that right now as we're sitting here, but he's not exerting any energy because the psalmist tells us he doesn't get tired. He doesn't slumber or sleep in verse 4. And we, you know, we can ask a question here. Well, okay, if God is active in keeping us, if he is this good and faithful God, uh, then why am I struggling right now? Why do I have pain in my life? Why is there affliction and suffering in my life? Why, why, why are we wearing masks? Why, why is COVID here? Did, this, did COVID get past our keeper God? Did he, was he not good in allowing this to happen? Of course, there are many difficulties to answering the, the existence of evil in our culture, many nuances to, to deal with, but we need to be humbled and realize that if we can even ask that question, that's proof that God has kept us to ask that question. That God is keeping us always. If we're sitting in the sanctuary right now, that is evidence that God has kept us alive. God kept us alive last night as we all slept. God gave us air to breathe. God kept our hearts beating. In short, God kept us alive while we did absolutely nothing to keep ourselves alive. And as we move on in the psalm and we see verses 3 and 4, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Thinking of verse 3 in that immediate context, he will not let your foot be moved. That was very rocky terrain that's being described here. It was very easy to roll an ankle as you were traveling up to Jerusalem through this rocky terrain. Rolling an ankle might not seem like much to us, but again, thinking back then, that could literally mean death to these people. A broken bone is not something that's just mild today, but it was definitely serious back then. So he will not let your foot be moved. He's keeping his people from these everyday difficulties of life. And as it talks about uh, the the sun there, uh, in verse 5, it says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. Again, thinking of their desert context. The desert heat often equaled death, once again pointing to the many vulnerabilities of travel. God telling us that he was our shade surely is significant to a bunch of Mississippians, right? (laughs) Who are accustomed to humidity and the heat of the summer. But we take shade for granted here. Again, as you're, you're traveling, shade was not just something you could come by, and God was saying, I will keep you from the heat of the day. I will be your shade. As you think about uh, those of you who, who may have played football or, or play football, and you think about two-a-days in the summer, there's a reason why they're broken up into two times a day, right? We go in during the hottest time of the day to escape the heat of the sun, to have some shade, to go into a cool building, to drink fluids, to replenish our bodies. Well, God is talking about keeping us from the heat of the day. He's talking about shading us from the daily burdens of life, the everyday issues that we encounter for each and every day. He's saying, I will care for you as long as the sun comes up each and every day. And this is all day protection, as verse 6 tells us. It says, 
The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. He's saying, I will protect you from sunrise until sunset. So he will keep you every day, all day long, through every kind of day. Now let me explain what I mean by every kind of day. Well, as you know, we have good days and we have bad days. We have days where we are filled with great joy, days where we are filled with deep sorrow, days where we are depressed, days where our worst nightmare comes true. Some of you may be familiar with Tim Challies, who is an author, blogger, speaker. Um, not too long ago, he lost his 20-year-old 20, 20 son who was playing with some friends and simply collapsed, and there was no real explanation to why he collapsed. And he was engaged to be married. And Tim Challies writes this. He says, we keep saying it, God is good. We may be saying it with sorrow and bewilderment and something less than full faith. We might be saying it as a question. God is good, right? But we are saying it. We don't necessarily understand how God is good in this or why taking our son is consistent with his goodness, but we know it must be. He goes on, Many years ago, Aline and I staked our lives, our souls, our eternities on the claims of the Christian faith. We declared that this God was not only the God, but our God. We have never doubted that God's sovereignty and goodness were displayed in giving us our boy. We are fighting right now to never doubt that God's sovereignty and goodness were displayed in taking away our boy. God keeps us daily, even in days that contain unimaginable tragedy. And you can hear it in Tim Challey's words. You can hear it as they are fighting to believe that, as they are struggling to believe that struggling to believe what they've professed their entire life. And so as we see verse 7 saying, God will keep us from all evil, this does not mean that God's children don't face tragedy. But it does mean that He promises to be with you in the midst of that tragedy. He promises to be with you on the other side of that tragedy. And He promises to be with you into the next life as we read verse 8. It says, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. We have the hope of the resurrection there. The day in which we will be reunited with those that we love, those that have gone before us. But what can be hard to believe at times is even better than that, reunited with our Savior, the one who secured this salvation for us. Jesus Christ is the one who has secured this eternity for us, who has secured our adoption as sons and daughters of God. The only reason God is our keeper is because of Jesus Christ. He came and he lived the life we could not live. He died the death that we deserve. We doubt constantly. He did not. He did not doubt his Father's goodness. And so we see what Psalm 121 says about us. We see what it says about God. And then in the last place, where does your help come from? Uh, you might be thinking, John, this is, okay, easier said than done uh, to say these truths from Psalm 121 as we sit here in a sanctuary. Um, 
You know, if you're a Christian, you know the answer is obvious. Okay, John, yes, our help comes from the Lord, as the psalm just told us. Um, but we know that that's, that's difficult at times for us. And so answering the question, where, where does your help come from? Just survey your life. Where does your help come from? Oftentimes, if we're honest, our help comes from ourself. That when difficulty comes in our life, we just start to live in our own strength. We begin to rely on our own gifts, our own talents, our own effort. We rely on ourselves. But we can also rely on friends. And friends are a good gift from the Lord. We need to know as Christians, we are designed for community. And that is a good thing to to lean on those that the Lord has placed in our presence. But to also ask, are we also leaning on the, the Lord when those difficult trials come about? Our help can, can often come from money. Um, money can ease a lot of suffering. Money can provide a lot of security. Money, money can solve a lot of problems. And I think if we're honest, that can often be the helper we look to. Our help can come from distraction. Busyness is one way to seek help in the midst of trouble and difficulty. If we just keep our calendars full, we don't have to think about all the suffering that's going on in our own lives and the lives around us. We can distract ourselves with busyness. We can distract ourselves with with binge-watching and social media and hobbies, which can be good things. So we can look to many other things to be our help. Again, even good things to be our help. And again, please don't hear me say these things to, to heap shame and guilt upon you i'm saying this to myself as the one up here opening up god's word this is true of my heart as well but please hear me that any time we turn to anything else to be our helper other than the god of psalm 121 yes we are dishonoring god and we are not loving god but the reality is we actually make ourselves more miserable see god is telling us this because he loves us God is reminding us of this because he, know we, he knows we will only harm ourselves even more if we look to all of these other things to be our keeper, to be our helper, because he is the only one who can truly help us. He is the only one who can truly keep us. And so one possible corrective to this is just asking the question, how do you wake up in the morning? How do you wake up in the morning? Do you turn on the television first thing and go to Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or ESPN? Is that your first source of truth in the morning? Or is it the endless scroll of of Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and whatever else? Is that the, the first source of truth you look to in the morning? Well, as the psalmist looked to the hills and was filled with anxiety and was filled with worry and was filled with fear. He spoke truth back to himself. What might your day look like if it began like that? As you wake up, and if you're like me and your, your brain is somewhat turning, mine doesn't turn until I get some coffee in me, but if you're, right as you're waking up, your brain is turning with all sorts of anxieties and fears, to just stop 
and to remind yourself of the truth that's before you. To remind, I mean, just of this one psalm, speaking this back to yourself, the Lord who made the heavens and the earth will help you today. He will keep you today. He will not let your foot slip. The Lord who is keeping you does not sleep. Could you imagine if our God took a 15-minute power nap? We would all die. He doesn't sleep. He's not tired. He's not weary by your struggles. He welcomes strugglers into his presence. Can you imagine just reminding yourself of that truth alone as you begin each morning? So let, let me close by, by saying this. Um, I can remember as my children were growing up, uh, there was times where, where each of them wanted to help me pump gas. And uh, some of you, I know you, you've been through that before, uh, that it's never the most efficient way to pump, pump gas. It always takes a little more time uh, when your children are, are helping you with gas because obviously you don't want to give them just a hose with flammable liquid. Um, you want to help them with that. And so it you know, takes a little bit of time. And as we get back into the car, typically the kids would say, hey, mommy, I helped dad pump gas. And of course, I never said, well, actually, actually, it was me pumping the gas. Um, you know, they didn't really help all that much. Um, listen, as I, as I challenge you to, to think of the way in which uh, you wake up in the morning, uh, keep this in mind. Uh, it's not you keeping a hold on God. <laughs> it is him holding you. God's the one pumping the gas, not you. He loves you as his child. He loves to involve you in his work. But it's him who's doing that. If we're honest, our faith is weak. His is strong. His is steadfast. Our love is fickle. We love many other things. His love never wavers for his children. We are like the Apostle Peter that denies God in a thousand different ways each week. God never denies us because of his perfect son, Jesus Christ. Let's give him thanks now. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you that we can call you that, that we can call you Father. Um, We are people with weak faith. We are people who deny you by turning to idols each and every day, but you remain steadfast in your love towards your children. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for keeping us through the difficulties of everyday life in a broken world. We, we pray uh, that you would help us to see the treasure of your word, that you would give us a desire in our hearts to, to look to your word, to cling to your word, to see the absolute treasure it is to our souls uh, that can be wayward to our minds that race to all sorts of fears and anxieties. Help us to cling to the truth of your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.